Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. Joining me tonight in the Speakeasy is a guy who has helped an enormous number of new narrators with his wit and wisdom on the VOBB and in several voiceover-related Facebook groups. Very talented narrator who has also made an enormous number of snarky comments in those same forums. Jeffrey Kafer, thanks for joining me in the Speakeasy tonight. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. How are you doing? It's good. I'm good. Snarky. Uh, Why would you ever think snarky? Just a little bit. Just a little. I, you know, I forgot you were a uh, you're one of the old VOBBers too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I found that. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, Man. no, I found the VOBB. I think it was probably ten years ago, maybe longer. And, yeah, I was uh, gonna say that means I've I've known you, quote unquote, for like ten years now. Yeah. No, that was a, God. We're old. <laughs> we're old now. What the hell? Speak for yourself. Actually, I think I'm older <laughs> than you. So let's uh, let's not go there. <laughs> right, exactly. So, what are you drinking tonight, Jeffrey? I'm having a beer. Yeah? What kind of beer? 805. 805. Not being a beer yeah. drinker, I'm not familiar with 805. Well, so it's a it's an LA slash Santa Barbara beer, so it's it's a California beer. I was wondering if that was maybe the area code, and I know that that is Santa Barbara, so good it guess. It is indeed. All it right. is indeed, yes. Very good guess. Well, I'm joining you tonight with a martini. It's a classic. It's one of my favorites, and they make a good one here in the speakeasy. So, Cheers. All right. So I know that you are uh, currently living in Southern California. Is that where you're from originally? No, I'm an Air Force brat. So oh. I'm I'm from everywhere. I had a new home every two years. Ah. Uh, so I lived in, so I was born in Virginia. Then we moved to Alaska, then Nebraska, then <clears throat> a town in Central California called Lompoc. Oh, yeah. No, Lompoc. And, well. well, you know, there's a funny story about Lompoc. Most people think it's called Lompoc. Ah, so when you, there's a very famous prison there. Uh-huh. Uh, it's like a maximum security prison, very, very famous prison, hardcore prison. And so whenever the cops on TV shows start grilling the, the, you know, the, 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 the perp, we're going to send you to, to Lompoc. Uh, uh, I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what? You're not a real cop. Because <laughs> every real cop would know it's Lompoc. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So, yeah. So, I was a military brat, and we moved around. My parents settled in the Bay Area, and I moved to Seattle when we got when I got married, and then we moved to uh, Los Angeles because my wife wanted to be closer to family because she's from here. I she's a total valley girl. I don't remember the, uh, the Bay Area <clears throat> connection. Where'd you live in the Bay Area? We li- my parents still live in Richmond. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, oh, yeah. My sister lives in the East Bay, and I'm uh, I I lived in San Jose in the South Bay for geez over twenty years. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I was there for I don't know ten, fifteen. Huh. My high school. I went to San Francisco State University. Met my my wife there, and uh, then we decided San Francisco was too too expensive a place, so we moved to Seattle, and then decided I guess that wasn't expensive enough, so we moved back to L.A. <laughs> <laughs> what part of what part of the Southland are you? We are in Valencia. Oh, okay, Santa little bit, Clarita, little bit north. Valencia. Yeah. yeah, my LA friends always tease me. They're like, "Yeah, let me know when you actually move to LA." <laughs> like, okay, yeah, great. 
Yeah, it's still close, though. Close to uh, studios, not too far from Studio City. Yeah, I don't go anywhere, though. Really? Well, we can get into that. Well, not that. for I'm, work. I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested about the, the um, work situation with the home studio and all, but uh, we okay. can get into that. So you went to San Francisco State. What did you study there? I got a double major in cinema and broadcasting. Really? Yeah, and then I, and then I went to work in the tech industry. I worked for a company called Macromedia. They're the inventors of the wonderful p- plugin that everybody loves called Flash. Yeah, I remember when Macromedia was a bigger name. Now nobody knows yeah. that name; they just know the word Flash. Well, that's because they got uh, bought by Adobe. Ah. So I worked for them. Then I went to work for Microsoft. Um, I was a video game tester for, God, 10 years. Wow. Yeah. So I worked I, on some of the, the hottest games ever. Uh, Pong. Halo, Mass Effect, Crimson Skies, uh, Gears of War. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Halo and Gears of War are ones that I'm familiar with. I, I yeah. none, none of those are ones that I played, but um, Halo and Gears of War I know were, were big deals. Yep. So Man, nothing sucks the soul out of your sucks the the soul out of your life like working in the video game industry. <laughs> That's funny. I would not have expected that. Uh, most people don't. Most people think, "Oh my God, you tested video games! It must be the greatest job ever." You know, it was the toughest job ever. Really? Because the games are the games aren't done. Well, first of all, you know, a video game tester, a full time <clears throat> employee of Microsoft, is not a guy who's just sitting in a chair playing video games, right? I was. My job was technically an engineer. I was engineering the way the games needed to be tested. Oh, got it. All right. So I was coming up with new processes and and all this stuff. And by the time I got laid off, uh, they were hiring guys with uh, master's degrees in computer science from Harvard to come in and test video games. Wow. I just couldn't compete with that with my little film degree. <laughs> yeah. I just I, – I knew that you worked for Microsoft. I didn't realize that it was um... – uh, along those lines, um, and so I was uh, I was surprised to hear just now that you uh, you had a double major in cinema and broadcasting because I thought that it was going to be one of those nope never did never interested in acting or performing arts or any of that type of thing and on the creative side I thought that it was all tech so that's that's very interesting that you had those degrees and you went into that kind of work uh, you know I just sort of fell into it. Um... I, I I always had I always sort of had a, a a lean toward more technical things. Mm-hmm. I've always I've always gotten along with computers. Really enjoyed computers. Um, <laughs> the funny thing you go to San Francisco State to get a film degree. It's because you don't want to live in L.A. <laughs> Guess what eventually happened? Yeah. So I went to tech because you know you're in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And that's just sort of you know it's 1997. It's kind of just what you do. Right. And, but I continue to do, to do theater. I mean, I grew up in the theater. Very, um, very interesting. Yeah. The, yeah. I the started when I was tech. 15. Yeah. Blending of tech yeah, and theater. I, it, and it goes beyond that because Microsoft actually has an on-campus theater troupe that I was involved in. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Anything to keep you there working. <laughs> so they, you know, I mean, we did, you know, I, my first play was by Neil Simon and my last play was by Neil Simon. So it kind of. Rounded itself out. Full circle, and then you got laid off. Then I got laid off, and then I decided, <laughs> I'm going to be an actor full-time, because I'm an idiot. <laughs> and I have no, and I'm totally unqualified for the job that I just got laid off for, so I'm going to do this instead. So, the, you were still in the Bay Area at the time? No, we were in Seattle. 
Oh, you're in Seattle by that point. Yeah, okay. Microsoft is in Seattle. Right, but but they have offices in the Bay Area too. I was getting the the timeline confused. So you were working for Microsoft, and you were in Seattle while you were working for Microsoft. Yes, correct. got it, got it. I got right. you confused because I'm a shitty storyteller. No, 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 that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should never consider doing anything like going into audiobooks or anything where no. you have to tell a story. Yeah, yeah God, bad, no. bad idea. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So, so you decided to be an actor, and so you were doing theater up in the Seattle area. I did, uh, yeah, I did some community theater and I did, uh, the Microsoft theater troupe. No, actually, no. I just did that one play in Seattle. So, I just did that one with the Microsoft theater troupe. I just did that one. But back in San Francisco before that, I had done plays in, in the, in, in Lompoc, I had done plays. So in, the, so in, in other words, from the age of 15, I started doing plays up until I did my last play working at Microsoft. Got it. Okay. Um, so when you were in the Bay Area, this is more personal. I have no idea how many listeners are actually going to be interested in this, but uh, what, theaters, what, what theaters did you work at up there? In San Francisco? Yeah, in the Bay Area. Oh, God. Um, I did the Pacifica Players. Ah, uh, Spindrift. Holy crap, you know that, yes. Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's funny. Um, I did a lot of improv for them, and I did, uh, what was it? Line in Winter. Oh, great, great show. Yeah, I was uh, Richard, Richard the Lionhearted. Cool. Um, gosh, I don't even remember. It's so long ago. So long ago, yeah. So so you didn't do any theater once you moved down to L.A. then? <laughs> no. <laughs> so you decided to be a full-time actor, but you did not pursue the stagecraft that you had learned over the past, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. See, here's the thing. I suffer from horrible stage fright. Oh. Crippling Stage fright. That that two minutes before you're going to go on stage mm-hmm. is just awful for me. I I have the worst fear. And between you and I, don't you know? Don't tell anybody listening to this podcast. No, no, it it's manifests. Just <laughs> it manifests manifests in tremendous gas. Ah, uh, I, which I, is great for the coworkers. They love that. Or yeah. The, the, no, no details, but I hear you. Yeah. So anyway, but I mean, the stage fright is a real thing. I still have dreams. I have the classic actor dreams where I'm going to go on, I'm, I have to go on stage and um, I forgot to memorize my lines. Oh my God. I have those dreams too. I think we all do. Yeah, probably. And, and they are, uh, oh boy, they are nightmares. Um, they I, are the worst. They are. I, <clears throat> I honestly, I mean, I, I will wake up and think. How could I go into that project and it's opening night and I don't know any of my lines. I don't even know what I'm supposed to start yeah. with. I don't even know. Yep. Yeah. I, I. Oh boy. Yeah. Those are bad. I had no idea. Well, and so, that was that was actually my fear when I was doing plays. Was three minutes before I'd be looking through the script, going, "Oh my god, I, I don't remember my lines." Mm-hmm. I'm good. And that, I mean, that was just that was my real actual fear that caused my stage fright. Was. Um, I didn't, I never felt prepared for a scene and I never felt like I had my lines completely memorized. Even I the, never once screwed up on stage. I was going to say, even though you, you were totally prepared, weren't you? And it was never a problem, but you were always afraid that it would be. Correct. Once yeah. I'm on, once I was on stage, I was fine. Yep. But it was that five minutes before, which was just unbearable. 
Wow. So now I do audiobooks and I don't have an audience. Yeah. Good. <laughs> That's totally understandable. Um, so you decided to be a professional actor uh, full-time, and so you moved down to L.A., and you decided, hey, if I'm behind a microphone, I don't have an audience. Yeah. Basically, that's true. Voiceover for me has been the best of, of all those worlds. Yeah, I mean, I get I get all the roles. I get to do all the acting. People still hear my work, but I don't have to perform it live for them. Yeah, yeah, it's a big difference. Um, it's very different. Yeah, and I know a lot of people. Uh, I'm kind of interested. I want to go back to one one more thing in the college thing. Was you said cinema and broadcasting? So I know that yeah. it's really difficult for people who actually are in broadcasting to get into voiceover because they learn a lot of bad habits in broadcasting. But it sounds like even though that was one of your, uh, one of the things that you focused on in, in school, it's not something that you ever did professionally. No, I never really made movies either. Oh, well, no, but I, I think of cinema and I think, well, it's a little more all encompassing. You got the acting part and you got everything else. Um, and broadcasting, it just seems like, well, kind of a natural end to get into broadcasting, and it seems like that that never happened. Was that by the by the time you were done with school, were you just not really interested? Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it was just one you of those know, things was, where you fell into the work that you fell I into. I just sort of, yeah, I yeah. fell wherever it is that I fell. I mean, like I said, I was good with computers. I was in the dot-com bubble at that point. Yeah. Um, I remember those days fondly. You know, my skill set at that point, leaned more towards the technical. I knew that going into broadcasting and, you know, hauling cables around and doing all that stuff was going to be super competitive and I was going to be super poor. Yeah. Um, so I just saw the tech as being sort of the next, uh, being a better option for me. And I went mm -hmm. into a company like Macromedia was big into the whole multimedia explosion. They called it multimedia back then. Mm -hmm. Video and animation on your computer. Yeah. So it was sort of tangentially related. Yeah. Sort of. Sort of. So so that's great. So you looked at a certain career path and you thought, it's going to be really competitive and I'm going to be really poor. So you decided to go into voiceover instead. Smart move, Jeffrey. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, I never said I was very smart. You know, the thing, what I tell people is the biggest thing that I learned in film school is how much I didn't want to go into the film industry. <laughs> yeah, I had an acting coach for a while who used to say that acting was absolutely fantastic. The business of acting sucks. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, and I know that it's the same type of thing with cinema, with anything creative, really. Um, you know, you've, you've well, got kind of two different worlds that have to somehow meet when they don't really go well together. Right. And this is why I consult people on business. Because, because people so need many, a lot of help. Well, yeah, because people don't, they think that performing is it mm -hmm. without realizing, you know, the work is getting the work. Yeah. And no, I, a lot of people lack the... You know, the business skills, for mm -hmm. lack of a better word, to, yep. to find the work. And yeah. I like to help people do that. No, I, I totally understand that. The first time I got into voiceover was uh, back in the early 2000s. And I didn't understand that piece of it at all. And yeah. uh, it didn't go well. It, it it went well at first. Got an agent right away and I thought, I'm set. And yeah. uh, nothing really happened. So I, I totally yeah. get that. I, I learned a lot that first time around before I kind of quit went back into high tech and then came back out and I'm doing it now. And I'm, I'm fortunately, I, I remember some of what I learned at that point about what I didn't know. 
uh, everybody's still got a lot more to learn. So I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more I could do as well, but, uh, I, I can totally well, and see it's going changing so much. Like it day to day. so much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even just the, the landscape of audiobooks, not including VO, just audiobooks in general, just, you know, you talk to people like Dick Hill, who, who's on Facebook, but he fully admits, he's like, if I had to do all the work that you guys do now, I never would have even bothered trying. Mm. Yeah. You it, know, the, the hustling, the finding books, yep. the producing, all this other stuff. He's, he's old school. He wants you to just go into a studio and just read books. Right. I'm a narrator, not a producer. Right. Yeah. Well, so you got, so you moved down to LA, got into, uh, acting, got into voiceover. Uh, what'd you start out with anything in particular, or did you say, I'm a voice, I'll do anything? You know, I, I knew I wanted to do audiobooks. Really? From, from the beginning? Yes. Wow. Because as I was, as I was listening, as I was driving on my 35 minute, 40 hour, 40 minute commute to Microsoft, I listened to audiobooks voraciously. Um, wow. most notably, uh, Scott Brick, because, mm-hmm. you know, everybody listens to Scott Brick. Um, and I thought, oh, I can do that. Cause you know, that's what everybody thinks. Right. Um, so I hopped in and I did a few free books, um, over on patiobooks.com. I remember that name. It may be from talking to you or it might be from somebody else. I don't remember, but I do remember that name. Yeah. Basil was big on there too. What that was, was serious. It's still around. Um, I don't know if any of the books I did are still around. God, I hope not. Yeah. I was going to say, you're hoping they're not, right? (laughs) I I did them literally on a $5 karaoke mic. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yes. They, they were, they were amazing. Let me tell you. Um, (laughs) But you know what? I got my feet wet. I decided I want, I liked doing it. I could do it. Um, and so I, I, uh, I did a couple of free books and then I was hired by, uh, Jeremy Robinson, who is an author who had a series of books coming out. And after upgrading my mic, I, he <laughs> said, I want to hire you to do a couple of books on patio books just as promotions hmm. for, for this, his upcoming series. I said, Okay. So he paid me, and that was my first uh, paying audiobook gig. I, th- I believe I believe my first it was Kronos by Jeremy Robinson, hmm. um, and then I did another one for him. And the series that he was working on got picked up by Audible, and he says, "Oh, I want Jeff to do him." Nice. So he he dragged me, he he dragged is la- is not the right word. I followed on his. Footsteps into Audible. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and that's and that story is is indicative of how everybody wants to know how do I break into audiobooks. I'm like, you're gonna find your own path. Yeah, you know, your own path to failure or success is gonna be completely on you. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, what did you do? I'm like, well, it doesn't matter what I did because you un- unless you're me back in 2003, it doesn't matter what what I do. Yeah. No, I know that's true. And I know that just came up recently as well. Somebody was asking online about, um, you know, how, how many, I, I think it was, how many books do you have in the queue at one time? And there were a few of us that were trying to say, well, you know, get, getting that information is good. We're all curious about something. We're all curious about how, how it happened for other people. And that's part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast. I want to find out. And I know that a lot of other people want to find out what was the path that you took but at some point, and that point, I think, is your point in that thread was that that point is fairly early on in your career. You yeah. just kind of have to split off from that and say, huh, well, that's interesting. Okay, now what am I going to do? Well, right. And, and people use the term normal. 
What's yeah. normal to do that? There is no normal. Yeah. There's things that are common, but when you use a term like normal, there's an aspect of right and wrong mm-hmm. because the opposite of normal is abnormal. Mm-hmm. And there's no, there's no abnormal in this world in yeah. terms of audiobooks. There's what I'm doing and there's what you're doing and you've got to do what's best for you in terms mm-hmm. of scheduling, in terms of workflow, whatever. Yeah. But going and asking what other people are doing and then saying, well, I need to get there is mm, not exactly the way you want to be doing it. Yeah, it's not going to be helpful. Boy, we're talking in super vague terms right now, aren't we? (laughs) Uh, Sort of, but I I think the point is there, and I think that that point, uh, being vague about it, I think it's fine, because I think that that point kind of crosses over to a lot of different areas, um, not just in audiobooks or career, but in life. Um, Yeah. You know, I, I think that it's really interesting to hear how people got to where they are and what path they took. But, you know, one of the things that I have learned is that, yep, that's their path. And I can get little pieces from them about what they did. And then I can kind of look at what I'm doing and say, hey, maybe that would help doing something like that. It's not going to be exactly that, but it'll be like that. Oh, maybe I could do this and make that change. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I I think it's helpful to hear other people's stories. But but I hear you. Everybody's got a different path and you just have to find it yourself. Exactly. So that's uh, that's interesting. So you got into audiobooks pretty early on when you got into voiceover. What about other types of VO, though? I mean, I know that on the VOBB, you would post about other things, commercial and industrials and whatnot. Yeah, I still do a little bit of that. Um, I, not as much anymore. Mo- audiobooks take up 99% of my uh, workday. Um, that's a lot. Well, it is. I I like audiobooks because you get a book and that's a week's worth of work. Whereas every, when you're doing just, just VO, for lack of a better word, when you're just doing VO, you're constantly on the hustle. Mm -hmm. You've got to have two or three gigs per day, every day to, you know, make any money. To even come close to making a living. Yeah. Yeah. And to be, to be fair, I mean, if you land, if you land a national commercial, that's, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars, you can earn, you can land one commercial every other week and you know you'll be making decent money but right. i'm of the i i'm of the work ethic that i can't just sit around and wait for the next gig to come in i've got to be working yeah if and i'm not working if i'm sitting on the couch watching dr phil i'm going to be questioning my life choices also because i'm watching dr phil yeah i think we'd all be questioning your life choices at that <laughs> point jeffrey <laughs> but um but the other the other problem with that theory is that uh, you know how many people book national commercial after national commercial you could probably count them on you know fewer than the number of digits that you have um yeah so it's it's not really wise to uh, assume that that's going to happen Un- unless no. you're in a position oh, heavens, no. unless you're in a position where it doesn't really matter and you can wait for an entire year for the next national without worrying about yeah. it and very few people are in that position. Yeah, I see a lot of people, a lot of EOs, they'll say, my job is to audition. Every day they're auditioning, 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 auditioning. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, God, that sucks. Yeah. That yeah. must totally suck. So have you done much commercial work? I've not done much of any commercial work. I cannot get a commercial agent in L.A. to arrest me in this town. <laughs> I can't get, I have auditioned for all of them. Yeah. Uh, through Marilyn Wisner's voice casting service mm-hmm. where we, sure, you, know, yeah. you pay pay some money and you go in and you audition for all these agents. Mm-hmm. Not a nibble. I guess I just suck at the commercial read. And that's fine. But you've done a lot of industrial narration and e-learning yeah, I type still stuff. Do. Yeah, 
I still do. And that's that's funny when you when you tell people who aren't in the business you do VO and they're like, "Oh, what have you done?" Yeah. I'm like, "Well, if you happen to work in the modem division of Eris, you might have heard <laughs> my training for the E6000 converged edge router right. training that I just did." <laughs> you know, it's not sexy. Right, right. Not not um, too many audiobooks you have that. the there's the potential to be sexy. Mhm. Um Although that doesn't always work out either. I always get somebody asks, um, I tell them I'm an audiobook narrator, and they say, oh, what have you done? Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't done anything world famous that they're going to actually have read. So I usually I usually say, oh, you know Harry Potter? And they go, you did that? I went, no. <laughs> and then there's the lovely awkward silence, and they don't ask you again. It's great. But, but you draw them in, and that gives them the <laughs> opportunity to say, oh, but what? Okay, so you haven't done that one, but... Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, no, I, I hear you. Actually, at that point, I you know, we joke, we laugh, ha, ha, ha. And then I say I've done a variety of things. Then I ask them what they like to read. Mm-hmm. You know, I make it about them. Do they like, do they listen to audiobooks? Oh, yeah, I love audiobooks. And then I whip out one of my cards because on all of my cards, I have a code, the ACX codes. Mm-hmm. On our, all the back of, are on the back of all my cards, and there's a thumbnail of various books I've done. So if somebody says they like thrillers, I say, oh, here's a, here's a free audiobook for this thriller. And I hand out my ASX codes that way. That's great. Uh, I have no idea if they ever redeem them. No clue whatsoever. And you've probably, but then, so, so on every business card, you have a unique code? Yeah, Moo does that. Moo.com. Uh-huh. Yeah, so. They'll allow you to have unique backs. So then you have no idea whether any of them are ever used. Interesting. Um, no clue whatsoever. So you can do that with if somebody says, oh, I like thrillers. I assume that you have narrated in just about every genre of audiobook out there. Um, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Except children's. I, I have, but I don't know where they disappear to. They're not on Audible. Yeah, um, I haven't done any but children's. But yeah, basically. I haven't done any children's either. I, I'm pretty sure that I would just scare any kid that would listen. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so how many audiobooks have you done at this point? I assume it's like 500, um, 750? Approximately 457, but who's counting? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> nobody nobody would take you for somebody who would keep track. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, with 457, I'm sure that you've got something out there for everybody. And no matter who you're talking to, you can just say, oh, you know, take a listen to this one. And you know what? I really enjoy doing it. I have no idea why I enjoy doing it, but I, I do. Because everybody, I mean, you talk to people and they want to know what you've done. You can say, go listen to this. Mm-hmm. And it's free. It's, yeah. a, it's a gift. It's something different than just handing out a business card and saying, sure. look me up on Audible. Yeah. No, that's great. That's a great idea. It's fun. So you've narrated in just about every genre. So how much do your personal views and opinions, whether it's politics or religion or whatever, how much does that influence the work that you do, the work that you're willing to do? Is there, is there anything that you won't narrate? No, I'm an audiobook whore. I'll do. Actually, that's not true. Um, I did. I I turned one down. <clears throat> it was before the election, and it was. I'm not going to give the name of the author, but it was a New York Times bestseller by a publisher, and it was the gist was how uh, Hillary Clinton and Obama's administration how they resembled prison gangs. Oh I'm my like, god! Yeah. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> I'm not going to do this. I would have to use a pseudonym, and I'm not interested in using a pseudonym for that. And 
you know, I was I knew I wasn't getting rid of the book was going to be made. Right, right. So I wasn't, you know, denying the marketplace of ideas that book because mm-hmm. I don't believe in censorship. I just don't think my name necessarily needs to be attached to it. Right. Right. No, I So understand. that's the only time I've actually turned a book down. Um so you mentioned pseudonyms. Have you done work yeah. under a pseudonym? Yeah. And uh, is that something that you do because of the material or for some other reason? Um, it's it's because of the material. It's it's for some erotica. I haven't done a whole lot, and it's not an it's not a it's not a name that I actively promote. Mm-hmm. It's it's a receptacle that I can put certain <laughs> titles in that I want to. All right. Um, and I'm not disparaging the the, the books. I under I no, absolutely I understand. understand. You know, erotica is a valid genre, or I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, what I see is a lot of people who narrate under their name and they narrate under a pseudonym, and they actively try to get their pseudonym work. I'm not trying to do that ah, because it. I don't feel like building the career of two people. Right, right. So it's not a problem to do it. It's just not something that you search out. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, it's a place that I put books that I'm a little, that are a little too racy. And really I have no reason to, to hide behind a pseudonym. I mean, I've done a lot of contemporary romance, which is just as explicit as quote erotica. Mm -hmm. I use that under my name. I have teenagers. I don't need to protect them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know that that is a concern for some people as well. My four-year-old, I mean, once he gets into middle school. Um, totally get that. The lady, you know, if you were to go to, when my kids were young, I would not want to go to a PTA meeting and be chastised because they found some BDSM erotica that I narrated. Right. Although it would be kind of interesting to say, and how did you find that? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Kind Kind of turn it around on them. But, but I hear what you're saying. And I know that that is very common to use pseudonyms for, um, for romance and or erotica. Um, so, uh, so that's good. I, I won't try to out your pseudonym. Thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mentioned, uh, the VOBB before I, I know that I, and many other people, and I know that it's, it's back open or it was back open. I haven't visited in quite a while. Um, but we, I love that place. It was, it was a great place for a wealth of information. So many of you guys really helped me out on a lot of stuff when I was first starting out and then kind of when I was getting back into it. Um, and now you're a moderator of a Facebook group. Yeah. So how's that going? Several. Uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's like herding kittens at times, um, but it's fine. Yeah. It's fun. Um, I like being one of the old guard up there. Yeah. Um, you know, mentoring newer people, yeah, guiding them from their straying paths. Yeah, et cetera, et cetera. I, I see that quite a bit. I mean, I see that you you take a lot of time to uh, to help people out with newbie questions and uh, and are fairly patient. Um, you know, snarky at times, but I'm snarky myself, and so I yeah. always appreciate that. Well, um, you know, p- people were very generous with their time with me when I was starting out. Um, I will not forget. I, he might have forgotten, but I won't forget when I first started out. I somehow got in touch with Scott, Scott Brick, mm-hmm. and he said, hey, give me a call, and he gave me his phone number. I was like, oh, my God, this is celebrity status right here. So I called him, and I interrupted his lunch at Costco. <laughs> he, was having, he, was, he was having pizza at Costco. That's great. And he, the guy, he just talked to me. I was, an, I, was, I was a nobody 
I had done, <clears throat> excuse me, I had done one book, maybe. Uh, I was just starting out, and he took the time to talk to me. And the people on the VOBB have been super uh, generous with their time. D.B. Cooper, yep. uh, Peter O'Connell, Bruce Miles, Bruce Miles Bob yeah. Sauer. I mean, all these people. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, and I, I completely echo that sentiment. Um, just doing this podcast. I, I talked to Scott, and he'll he'll be in here eventually, but I talked to Scott at uh, APAC last year, and uh, I, it was just like, we're just I'm just having a conversation with this guy who yeah. is so high up in this world that, uh, you know, it wouldn't be surprising if he didn't have time for me, but yeah. he, he did. And everybody else did too. And everybody's been, you know, so generous to, you know, you're yeah. being generous to come on with your time here. It's, it's great. Sure. And, and I am still such a beginner in this field, um, that it's, uh, it's, it's great. I, I love the VO community in general and audiobook community is, is definitely right in there. Yeah. The biggest, um, <clears throat> problem I see it seems rather innocuous at the t- at the time, and Johnny Heller rails against this too. Is when people criticize or joke about specific things that the author is writing, mm-hmm. they, they yeah. criticize in a joking manner uh, stuff like, "I'm really sorry," he said apologetically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, okay, that's not <laughs> super great writing. I get it, but you're making fun of somebody's writing on a public group. Right. That's a bad idea. Yeah, and and not, uh, not only do you run the you know you run the the risk of offending an author, producers and publishers and directors and all these other people they don't want to see that you're being critical publicly of the books that are being produced. It's right. just a bad idea. Yeah, it's not just the author or rights holder that you're dealing with. It's other people who see that and think, huh? I wonder what would happen if. Right. So yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's good. But aside from those uh, fortunately relatively rare occurrences, um, being part of the old guard on uh, in the Facebook groups is a good thing. You you are happy to spend the time doing that. Sure, I enjoy it. That's good. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, I'll be honest, it's helped my career. Oh, that's great. Um, you know, people hire me to consult and other people in the business understand that I'm... I don't want to say a leader in the community, but I'm a voice in the community. Yeah, no, I, I actually think that a leader in the community is uh, totally accurate. Uh, I, I don't think that that implies that you're a leader in every area, but you definitely have a, a, an area of expertise, um, primarily the business side. So um, I, I wanted to ask you about that too. So you do the business stuff, but if I remember correctly... Uh, I don't know if this is still the case, but when we spoke about a year ago, you were not doing any performance coaching. I still don't. You still don't. So that is not something that you do, but you do do business coaching. Yeah, I, I don't do performance coaching because I don't think I'm a very good judge of performance. And I my worst, I did performance coaching once for a group in Vegas. And some guy got up there and just blew me away. How so? And my feedback to him was, I have absolutely nothing for you. Oh, he blew you away with his performance. He was so good. Okay. He was good. And I'm like, there's got to be something here that I can guide him on. And I said, dude, that was, that was amazing. I have nothing for you. And I felt bad because he paid to be there. Right. So it was that point. I'm like, you know, I'm really not very good at performance coaching. And there's other people who are, I mean, there's a whole bunch of coaches out there who are really good and they're better at it than I am. 
so I don't feel like competing with my friends because mm-hmm. nobody else is really doing uh, actual business consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean Pratt touches on it, but he's not really my friend, so I am <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, Sean Pratt, you know. <laughs> no, I, I love Sean. Uh, yeah. But he, he had, business is part of his overall uh, curriculum in, you know, involved with uh, performance coaching and business. I yeah. strictly do business consulting, and it's simply Q&A. Mm-hmm. I don't have a curriculum. It's you have an hour of my time. Ask me whatever questions you want regarding audiobook business. And that's going well. And it's going great. Um, every, I have not had anybody go, eh, it was okay. At least not to my face. Yeah. Um, I like to think that I've helped a lot of people uh, at least guide them on the right path. That's great. I'm, I'm sure that that is rewarding. Uh, yeah, it's great. And it's, you know, <laughs> this is bad, but it's really the... It's a shield against the, hey, can I pick your brain for an hour over coffee? Mm-hmm. Oh, so my, my, an hour of my time is worth four twenty five. <laughs> so I, yeah. I, when they do that, I say, sure, I'd be happy to talk with you for an hour. Go to my website at audiobookmentor.com and uh, book me for an hour. Most, some of the time I don't hear back from them. Most of the time I do. They book a session. Obviously, those who are serious about it will book a, a a session. Yeah. Those who are just, you know, audiobook curious, maybe, maybe not so much. And that's fine. So you're, uh, you're in, you do workshops too. I do. Um, I've, I've done workshops at Johnny Heller's Splendiferous thing. I, I was actually a guest lecturer three years now at Scott Brick's, uh, UCLA, uh, audiobook class. He teaches a class at UCLA. I'll let him tell more about that. But oh, I didn't realize that. Um, he brings in guest lecturers, and I, I was, I, he's brought me in three times now. Wow, um, he must like lot, you at least a, a little fun. bit. Um, no, he knows that I bring value, but he doesn't actually like me as a human. Got uh, it. All right. Not, I mean, who does? Right. It's all about the money. It's all about the money. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so yeah, there's that. Uh, I did, I did a session at That's Voiceover. I did VO Atlanta last year. I go wherever they ask me to go, basically. And and you're always focusing on the business side, for the most part, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's almost it's always business. Yeah. So what do you got coming up? Are you uh, currently working on any books, or are you just out there trying to find somebody who would be willing to hire you? Uh, I've decided to give it all up and uh, go be a Chippendales dancer <laughs> again. <laughs> it's the next career move. <laughs> exactly. Um, I am doing a science fiction book now for Podium Publishing. And then I'm moving on to a super secret title that I can't talk about. And I'm super excited Ooh, to do. It'll a... be my highest profile title to date, but I can't say anything about it. Nice. Got a little yes. NDA going on there. Big NDA, yes. Yeah. Nice. Well, I, I look, forward, look forward to hearing about that when it happens. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming in, and I look forward to seeing you online and in person. I assume that you're going to be at Johnny Heller's Splendiferous Workshop the day before APAC again this year. No. Oh, not you're not going to be A- there. I'm not going to APAC this year. Uh, my son is graduating from high school, and I've been told that that's more important. Well, I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's okay. Grad- he only from graduates. High he only graduates from high school once. You hope. In, yeah. in theory. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. 
No, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you said no, to miss APAC, sure. but you know, family always comes first. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, I'm sorry that I won't see you there, but I will certainly see you online in the near future. Absolutely. All right. Thanks a lot, Jeffrey. My pleasure. Well, that's it for tonight. I'm really glad that Jeffrey Kafer could stop by and enjoy a local beer while I sipped on a martini. And hearing about his background and his contribution to the audiobook community was good, too. You can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, a place where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you could visit patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy and donate a buck or two. Until we see you here at the Speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Thank you.